Hi, everyone, and welcome to Gay A, a podcast about sobriety for the LGBT plus community and our allies. I'm your host, Steve Bennett Martin. I am an alcoholic, and I am grateful for my wonderful husband as we near our six year wedding anniversary. As of this recording, I am 272 days sober, and today we're welcoming a guest to share their experience, wisdom, and hope with you. Welcome to the show, J9. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And can we let's start with having you introduce yourself to the listeners. Tell us a little bit more about who you are. Sure, yeah. So my name's, well, I'm J9, but Janine, J9, they kind of are the same if you think about it. But yeah. Mm. Um, I'm from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, and I have been sober now for it'll actually two years on March 1st. So I'm pretty stoked about that. Yeah, I'm a musician. I'm actually in my studio right now. So like I said, J9's kind of my artist name. It's also a nickname because my name is also kind of spelled J9, Janine. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. And then so we can get to know you better, tell us a little bit about what your journey with alcohol and addiction was like. The journey. Well, I mean, I guess it's really started before I was born. Alcoholism runs in my family quite a bit, both sides. And yeah, I mean, I I didn't touch anything when I was in high school. I was like good kid in high school, small town, sh- sheltered oldest of three kids with a single mom working all the time so as soon as I got to go to college I rebelled my ass <laughs> and therein enters the alcohol yeah I've 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 just turned 40 and that would have been I'd say like around 19 I started drinking often and a lot so it was a good you know, 21 years of making bad decisions and apologizing a lot and just not feeling good. And I think that's really kind of where it stemmed from is not only is it genetic, but like, you don't really feel great about yourself. It's easy to find vices to turn to, I suppose, especially if, I don't know, Toronto is a very social city too. It just kind of breathes uh, what do they call them? Functional alcoholics. <laughs> so, yeah, I was always around. I always had friends. I'm a musician. A lot of playing in bars. Again, so it was always around. And over the years, I had, you know, tried to stop a few times. This is the longest so far. So, you know, 21 years and it's been two years now. So, yeah, it's been a journey. It's hard. Yeah. When everyone, you know, all your friends drink a lot and no one shows any interest in stopping, you know, one bad relationship after another. Most of them were kind of oriented around alcohol in one way or another. Yeah. And I mean, I think when I started therapy was probably when I really started to open my mind up to the fact that like, this is a thing. And yeah, before that, I thought I was, you know, just young, having fun in a city full of art. But yeah, two years sober, just before pandemic, I went on a trip to Mexico with a friend of mine who also likes to drink a lot. And I 
swear I almost died from alcohol poisoning about like two or three times on the trip. And that wasn't the first time it had happened a few months before that, before I even went. And I don't know. I just, I said, I can't keep doing this to myself or to the people around me. And I don't want to feel like this ever again. And that was that. Yeah. And what has your life been like now that you're living? It's boring, boring, <laughs> <More boring. laughs> uh, but that's not a hundred percent true. Like a uh, pandemic happened and, you know, I was living alone in a small apartment, downtown Toronto. So like, I just didn't go out. There's too many people everywhere. So, I mean, that alone made it boring right off the bat. Earlier this summer, I decided to move outside of the city, but to our drive kind of in the middle of nowhere. So, I mean, that alone made it even more boring because at least now there's not, you know, like drunk people screaming on the street at like 3 a.m. often. So, <laughs> but on a upside, I definitely get really good sleep all the time. And I'm definitely way more productive with my, my art, my craft, music. And I've really developed deep, meaningful relationships with the people that are still in my life in a way that I couldn't have before. So, I mean, those are really, really great things. Excellent. And having come so far in such a short period of time, if you could go back in time and talk to your former self when you were at what you would consider rock bottom, what would you tell yourself in that point? I mean, feeling like you're going to die if you keep drinking is pretty rock bottom. But I don't think I really felt like that was my rock bottom. I just felt like that was the end point. And I mean, I got into cognitive behavioral therapy quite a few years ago. So it's kind of like I'm just constantly talking to myself now and talking myself out of, you know, not very helpful, you know, thoughts and such. But I, I do remember quite a few years ago, I was at the end of a very abusive relationship that was very much centered around alcohol. And that's probably when my drinking was at its most out of control. I think I was just trying to manage my emotions in any way I could. And unfortunately, you know, things didn't go very well. Things got a bit violent. And, you know, I could say, you know, it's you, it's not me, or, you know, it's both of us. But, I mean, when you're not in control of yourself and someone's egging you on it's just so easy to not make good decisions. And so, yeah, I would say that was rock bottom. And if I could go back and, and talk to myself, then I would definitely say to myself that you deserve better than this, even though you don't know it, you deserve someone that loves you for real and, and cares about you more and, and won't bring this out of you. You deserve to treat yourself better because you're worth it. And I would also let myself know that, you know, it's not your fault that you don't know any better. Yeah. Yeah. I can certainly understand those feelings. 
Now, how would you say or you feel your sexuality or gender identity played a role in your addiction? Well, as I kind of mentioned earlier, I did grow up in a small town. I was pretty sheltered. I was babysitting my uh, siblings often. I didn't really rebel or go out and party until, you know, I left home. Part of that sheltering was being in a small town, hiding my sexuality, not feeling any kind of support if I did come out. So again, back to managing emotions. And I mean, I came out pretty quickly after that. But honestly, up till just um, a few years ago, I didn't even really know that a non-binary person was even a thing. And yeah, I do feel like much of not feeling good about myself, aside from like having bad role models, or maybe not the best role models, bad, whatever, was, yeah, just trying to manage my emotions of not feeling good in my own body. When I, especially you're, you're an artist and you're in a social city and, and all your friends are alcoholics, like, yeah, it kind of just helps you be more social and takes away any pain or anxiety you might experience otherwise. So I would say maybe that in that way, my sexuality kind of added to my addiction and to my recovery. I mean, I could say the exact opposite. As soon as I started to become aware of and embrace this long lost like thing that I always knew, but I didn't really know what exactly or how to like integrate it. And once I started to have words for it and found a community around it and I became more comfortable myself, I even started some hormone therapy as a non-binary person, I just started to feel so much more like comfortable in myself and confident. And I think that made it, that started the process of making it much easier to make good, healthy decisions moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I can for sure understand that. And if you could give one piece of advice to someone who's sober, curious or newly sober, what would it be? I would say There is no shame in turning to medication, therapy. A lot of addictions come from real deep places that often stem from early childhood and and familial ancestral stuff. And I mean, unless you understand it, you can't really work with it. Yeah. And I did. I had a lot of anxiety and depression and I, f- I became diagnosed as adult with ADHD. And ever since I started taking medication, I mean, it's definitely been, it's, it's, it's helped me not feel the need to go for to vices to, to, especially through the pandemic when you're like isolated and, I don't know. So we got to get rid of the stigma, medication, everything exists for a reason. There's a time and a season and there's no shame in turning to that or therapy. You know, you don't just have to tough it out and take care of yourself alone your whole life. You know, there's a lot of information in your emotions and unless you honor them, you know, they're probably going to come out in other unhealthy ways. So yeah, that's my advice. 
Yeah. And- remove the stigma. Remove the stigma of medication and therapy, and by all means, integrate it into your life. It it, it can be very helpful. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm. Oh, I've always been a huge advocate for therapy. I was a psych major, so it would have been funny if I wasn't. But right. <laughs> what's the process of going through like cognitive behavioral therapy been like? I don't know. It was kind of interesting, actually. I did start that pretty much. I think at the end of that particularly abusive relationship or right after it ended. And I was fortunate to have it covered by our OHIP. So I didn't have to pay for it. It was covered under our healthcare. And yeah, like I know there's books, there's books you can read and I'm sure for the right person who learns well that way, it's good. They come with charts where it's really neat to like, you know, and once I see the chart, I can see the process. And once I know the process, it's just a matter of practicing it. So I never actually like did the homework of writing out these charts, but it was really neat to know on the first session that the goal of it was to teach me a skill set. It's like you just weren't given certain tools to help you out with. And so you can learn those. And once I wrap my head around that, it's like, okay, it's a deficit, but you can correct it. You can learn new tools, new skills that you're not meant to be in CBT therapy for the rest of your life. You're you're learning a new skill set, a set of tools that you haven't had before that can help you basically talk yourself down off the ledge every single time you need it. And it was really neat when about, you know, a year and a half, maybe two years in, my therapist said that she thinks that I didn't need to come back anymore. Nice. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. And what are some things you do in your daily life today to help keep you sober? Music is a big one. Even just with the pandemic, like if I didn't have the projects that I'm working on for myself to focus on all the time, like... Like I said, things are boring. Yeah, and it keeps my brain occupied. It fills me with better self-esteem every time I finish something that I'm proud of. I do try, you know, to eat decently, but also not beat myself up too bad if I don't. And I try to remind myself to stay as active as I can, but by all means, it's not been anything near what it might have been in the past when, you know, you're in a really good groove and you're... It's like, no, you know what, even if I just every now and then I'm like moving my body, then I do feel better. So it's that positive reinforcement that makes me want to keep doing it at all. (laughs) Otherwise, I just want to play music and like be lazy all the time and eat food. (laughs) Uh But yeah, I mean, and food, I mean, food does kind of help if I need to reach for something, you know, chocolate's nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's about it. I don't do that much. (laughs) Yeah, and as recovering addicts, we typically tend to really love our steps, traditions, and sayings. Do you have a favorite mantra, quote, or lyric that you like to live by? I I do. It's one that I tell people a lot is the way that you can get anywhere is to just start and don't stop. Mm -hmm. Just start. And even when you want to stop, just don't. Yeah. That is, and then you'll get somewhere eventually. <laughs> yeah, that that is good advice. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, 
Yeah. And can you share with the listeners how they can find more J nine if they want to follow you or, you know, discover your music? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I'm all over social media. In fact, I, I connected with you on Instagram. Yeah. So I'm at J nine grooves, just the letter J number nine with the word grooves with us at the end. And you can use that same handle to find me on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok. I also have a website, which is j9grooves.com. And you can find basically my whole uh, portfolio of, of music and videos up there. So Perfect. I'll be sure to link over that in the show notes so listeners can click on over and find you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on it. It's been a pleasure. Same. Yes. Awesome. Take care. Yes. Thank you. And thank you listeners for listening to another episode of gay. A. Please rate and review. If you found this information helpful, if you're interested in sharing your story, like J nine, getting involved with the show, or just giving me some feedback or saying, hi, I'm an email away at gay, a podcast at gmail.com and be sure to follow us wherever you're listening. So you can get new episodes when they come out every Monday and Thursday. And until next time, stay sober friends.